Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series, Bad Attitudes. We've been thinking about those who approach what God has called them to do with the wrong attitude, and as we do that, we find that we are often more like those people than we'd like to admit. And that's a challenge, I believe, especially on a person like we're going to look at tonight, King Hezekiah, who is actually one of the good kings. He's He's someone in Scripture that stands out as at least seeking to try to do what God's called him to do. And yet that shows also the danger we sometimes run into. That we look at ourselves and say, well, I don't have a bad attitude because I want to seek after the Lord. I want to follow him. And and yet we're challenged in Scripture even then to constantly be evaluating our hearts and and where we are. Are we really trusting in God? And, and as we trust in God, are we keeping our, our sense of purpose in life focused on him and what he has called us to be and to do? Are we allowing it to get muddied? King Hezekiah does. And may we come before our Lord now and ask that he would help us to see those places where, where maybe our purpose is getting muddied in our own lives. So that as we go forward, we might trust and might have the right purpose. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we come to your word tonight, would you, by the power of your spirit, direct our thoughts and our hearts, that we would would see what you would have us to see, and that in those places where we're failing to trust in you, or failing to have the sense of purpose you've called us to have, that we might instead do what is good and pleasing to you. Lord, we ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, before the broadcast tonight, I was in the basement cleaning and I ran across a keychain. And many of us have had keychains like this over the years. You have a little promotional logo on it and and seems somewhat unremarkable, but it really struck me. I had a different illustration to start. And and as I looked at this keychain, it it really made me think about exactly the sorts of challenges that we face when we go through some of the situations that King Hezekiah goes through. Because if, if you've lived in St. Louis for any period of time or, or you've been to St. Louis, if you know anything about the city of St. Louis and you know it going back decades, if I hold this up and hopefully the camera will focus on it, uh, this is a Boatman's Bank keychain. And for longtime St. Louisans or anyone in the general region, you know that Boatman's Bank was a really notable name here. It was everywhere. It had the most branches and it had the most money invested in it of any bank in, in the St. Louis area. In fact, in Missouri, it was one of the largest banks in the nation. It felt like this firm thing you could trust in if you wanted a secure bank. It was the oldest bank, in fact, west of the Mississippi, founded in 1847. It's the sort of thing that you could think you could trust in. And it sort of just felt like part of the city. There was the boatman's guy who was on TV and radio, and, and you, you you could hardly listen to either and not have a commercial with the spokesman for Boatman's Bank on. And they were always amusing, but it just felt like it was part of our St. Louis culture. I had to double check as I was thinking about this keychain and, and the bank it represents, because you see, Boatman's Bank hasn't been around for 25 years now. It's kind of hard for me to believe that. It, it seems like it hasn't been that long since it was everywhere. And yet it got swallowed up by another bank, Nations Bank, and that got swallowed up by Bank of America. And and so now you don't even have the immediate successor bank around. It's just forgotten the sea of a much, much larger bank. Its purpose of being this bank at the gateway to the West, 
it's gone. This institution that seemed like it was there and it had been for generations after generations, gone. And it reminds us, as I looked at this keychain, I thought about it and I thought, you know, this keychain represents something that you'd think in an earthly sense was something you could trust. And if you wanted a secure bank, you could go there and it'd be there for you. Now I have this keychain, but there's no bank behind it. And anything that we try to trust in in this world, anything that we think, well, this is going to provide me with, with security and comfort, it's ultimately going to be like the bank behind this keychain. And if we think about this at another level, and we see both of these things in the story we're about to dig into, this bank was also founded to be this bank here in St. Louis, and yet it's gone. It lost its purpose. And sometimes companies get bought, bought out, banks get bought out, other organizations get bought out, and they have a new purpose and so on. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. But those two things are two matters that confront us as Christians. First off, where are we trusting? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in institutions around us? And secondly, are we keeping our eyes on the purpose God's given us? Because whether or not it was good that this bank got bought out or some other company gets bought out, one thing that is definitely not good is when we take that purpose that God's given us and we lose sight of it. And as we go through the story of Hezekiah, we're going to start out with this very promising king who's doing so much right, and yet we're challenged to watch how he loses sight. How he allows those things that, that were secure and firm that he could hold on to become as meaningless as this keychain is. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah 36. This story appears in several different places in scripture, but this is where we're going to look at it tonight. We're going to look at it in Isaiah 36, where the armies of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, are sitting at the gates. They're ready to attack. And this is what happens. It says, The Rabshakeh said to them, said to, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are a strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is, is it not he who high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up and against this land to destroy it? And the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. This, this chief officer of the king of Assyria is, is declaring this as he arrives and he has this, this brutal argument. It's on so many different levels that he's making this case. You you have no chance, Hezekiah. And before we dig too much into what he says, it's worth going back a little bit further. If we turn to Second Kings, we'd find a bit more detail. And that detail tells us about how this conflict is initially set up. You see, many of the ancient empires and more powerful kings, what they would do, and we even see this occasionally with the kings of Israel, 
what they would do is they'd go to lesser nations with their armies and they would get those lesser nations to pay tribute to the greater king. And these vassal states then would receive sort of the protection that we're familiar with in mafia movies where the, the mafia boss comes and says he'll protect it. Sure be a shame if something happened to your bakery. And what he means is two things. One, it would be a shame if some third party came and attacked you, but it'd also be a shame if I came and attacked you. And so what do you do? Well, you pay him some protection money and he protects you against both other outside threats and himself. And that's sort of what these kings would do. The king of Assyria would do this with certain vassal states. They'd pay him tribute and in exchange he wouldn't destroy them and he would keep others from destroying them. It it kind of worked, but it really wasn't something you'd want. And sometimes it backfired. And that's the case that leads us to the point that we just read. You see, Hezekiah sees this powerful king and he thinks, well, I guess I need to pay tribute to him. And so we're told, in fact, he does. He pays tribute and he does so by, he strips precious metals off the Lord's temple. He takes everything they have out of their treasury and he sends it off to Assyria and says, okay, here, I am. I'm paying that money, now be kind to us. But it seems the king of Assyria looked at that, and, and this is the same king who, who destroys the northern kingdom, the half of, of the people of Israel that are, are, are less faithful. You can't really say Judah's been perfectly faithful, and it's not going to be, but the northern kingdom is worse. And he's, he's destroyed the northern kingdom already, the, the part we often just call Israel. And he looks down at, at Judah and he says, they had some pretty nice loot they sent me. Maybe I should just go ahead and take the whole thing for myself because then it'll all be mine. What else do they have? And so that seems to be the case that leads up to this point. And so then there's this argument. You, you're never going to be able to withstand us, Hezekiah. You don't. We'd give you the horses, but you don't have any horsemen. You have to go to Egypt for horses. And if you think your your God's going to protect you, well, we've heard about what you've been doing, and, and they don't understand it, but they are accurate that Hezekiah has been removing places of worship. You see, and, and this is something that's going to make the story of Hezekiah much more complicated. Hezekiah was, in many ways, a good king, and one of the things he did was initiate this this effort to reform Judah and make it more faithful. And so he went through the land and he found the idolatrous places of worship that were worshiping false gods and he had them taken down. But to the Assyrians, they say, well, it looks like you're trying to keep people from worshiping. So that's a bad thing. You don't have any army to defend you. What in the world do you think is going to keep you safe? Do you think you can just use clever words and scare us off? No, we're going to come and we're going to conquer. But Hezekiah isn't ready to answer that call like that doorbell that just went off. He's not ready to do that. He is going to stand. So the diplomats that Sennacherib has sent, if you can call them diplomats, these military officers really, they say, well, okay, we'll take this to the people. And they know the language of the people. They're not going to just speak in their own language. They're going to speak in the language of King Hezekiah, rather of the people, not just the king and his diplomats. And we see that in verses 14 to 20. They say this directly to the people. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This king will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the Lord of, excuse me, for thus says the king of Assyria, 
make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat of his own vineyard, and each of you of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come to take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, and a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of this these lands has delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So Hezekiah isn't so anxious to, to respond to the initial argument. And so this argument is made to all the people. And you see, it's very similar to what we see, for example, today in the war in Ukraine, where where the Russian ministries are, are putting out inform, information, their their foreign ministry and their even their space ministry are putting out these bits of information that are false, that are trying to provide a picture to sway the world opinion. Well, the ways of information warfare really, they've become more sophisticated, but haven't changed that much. The Assyrian king and his envoy do the same thing. They are saying to the people, look, your, your king's crazy. There's no way that he's going to be able to hold up against us. This idea that somehow he's going to follow the Lord is not going to work. Look at the gods of all these other nations. They thought that the, their gods were going to be protecting them. And guess what? We just drove right over them. You can see the tread marks on those lands. There's nothing left. Don't follow King Hezekiah. Just surrender. And yeah, we're going to move you to a different place. That's what the Assyrians did to, to ensure there wouldn't be rebellion. They moved the people around their empire. But we're going to move you, but you're going to, to live lives of peace. We're not going to kill you. You're going to get to, to tend vineyards and have a nice life. You should respond by surrendering. But Hezekiah doesn't, and the people follow King Hezekiah, thankfully. Instead, Hezekiah shows here in this moment that he has the right attitude. He turns, as we see in chapter 37, if you want to turn there with me, in verse 16, he turns to the Lord. And here's his prayer. He says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. You see, the, the envoy from Assyria says to the people of Israel, or the, the remnant in Judah, you think your God's going to protect you, but he's just as worthless as this keychain. There's nothing behind it. Just look at the other gods that all these people were collecting the keychains from. There's just keychains. There's no God. But Hezekiah, as he comes to the Lord, says, Lord, you're different. You're the one God who stands because you're the one God who is true. All these other gods are false. All these other gods are worthless. But we know that you are different. 
And here's the thing that I ask, Lord. You've made us a nation to testify to who you are. So will you preserve us now? Because if the nations see us stand against Assyria, stand against all odds against this army, they're going to realize that you're not just another name on a keychain. You're the God whom they too can trust in. We see that as Hezekiah comes before the Lord with this, this humility and this sense that the only way that he's going to get out of this is to have God's rescue, God responds. As we go through the story, God promises care, and not just to allow them to triumph over the armies, but he also he promises to provide them with food in the meantime. He says, yes, your farmers with Assyria attacking, they can't plant right now, but I'm going to bring up volunteer plants that are enough to feed everybody. I'm going to ensure that not only do you see I'm God by, by allowing you to stand this impossibly huge army that should just flatten you, I'm also going to feed you, people of Judah, my people, so that as, as you see this all happening, you know that I truly am with you. And another thing that we're, we're told happens, and this is something that is going to happen later on, it appears immediate because we're just getting a summary here, but not only is Sennacherib ultimately going to be defeated in this battle, he's going to have to go back to his land without the prize of taking Judah, but ultimately, and it's going to be decades later, but God's judgment upon him is going to include him being assassinated. Hezekiah gets to live the rest of his life. The people of Judah get to stay in their land, but Sennacherib will not get to enjoy a nice remainder to his life. He'll be betrayed. Here, in this moment, in this moment, Hezekiah is holding on to trusting the Lord. He's trusting that God can do this. And in that, he's also then seeing the purpose of why this people and why his kingship even exists. It's to point to who God is and to his faithfulness. The problem is that Hezekiah is going to have a hard, hard time holding on to that. We do too. We do that in lots of areas of life. Let me just say a phrase to you and see what images come up in your head. Endless meeting. If I say endless meeting, I would bet all of you have a meeting or series of meetings that you can think of in your lives that you've experienced that fit that description, whether it's at church or at work or in some other kind of organization you're a part of. We've probably all been a part of these meetings that seem to go on forever. They just roll on. Time slows and then it, they go on for hours, even though time's going so slowly. And and part of the problem with these meetings is they often forget what their purpose is about. There might be a reason this meeting has been called, and you start talking about that, and then people start talking about something else and something else and something else. And by the time the meeting is over, that original thing hasn't even really been solved or maybe even really talked about in any substance. Lots of other stuff has, but time has just sort of vanished and nothing's been done challenge for us is that we can see that when we're the person sitting there thinking, I, I could run this meeting so much better. I could keep my eye on the purpose. And yet, in our own lives, we lose that sense of purpose. And one of the things that we see in this story that we're challenged to is, is to ask ourselves the question, what is my purpose? To examine our lives at the moment and say, am I fulfilling that purpose? And Hezekiah is going to have to wrestle with this as he confronts another challenge, he's confronted a military challenge. Now he's going to face a challenge to his own health. We see that if you turn to chapter 38. 
It says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. And you have done what is good and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, based on how we put together the pieces, the details that we have about Hezekiah's life up to this point, we have reason to think that he's somewhere between 30 and 31 years old at this point. So he was expecting to live longer, that he hasn't had a very long life yet. And on top of that, there's another complication in this whole thing. He, he, he's been doing what God called him to do. He's been going and destroying all these pagan worship sites around Judah and trying to focus the people on the Lord. But he looks and he sees a huge problem. God's promised to continue this dynasty of David that that Hezekiah is a part of, and yet here he is, he's being told he's going to die, and he doesn't even have an heir yet. Manasseh, his son, who will ultimately succeed him, hasn't been born yet. There is no one to succeed Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah can look at all he's been doing, and and he's been trying to focus on trusting the Lord and fulfilling the purpose that the Lord has for him and for the people of Judah. And he says, I've been doing this, God. And yet, if I die now, what was the sense to it? And see, this shows something, again, at this point, Hezekiah is trying to hold on to that purpose, like like someone running a meeting and, and seeing it go amuck and trying to somehow bring it back. And Hezekiah still has a sense of purpose, and he has the right sense. He says, Lord, this is all going to come apart. Please, somehow, allow me to live. In that, he's showing trust again in the Lord. And notably here, notably he does so even without any promise that anything he's going to do is going to reverse this. You see, when when Isaiah tells Hezekiah he's going to die, he doesn't say, now, if you repent, if you humble yourself, if you do certain things before God, he's going to change his mind. He's going to somehow hear your prayer. He's going to do anything. No, Hezekiah just comes before God Reflecting on who God is, reflecting on who this God has called him to be, and asks for God's mercy. And God answers and, and gives him that mercy and allows him to live. And, and we see the summation of what Hezekiah realizes the Lord is doing in verses 17 to 20 in the midst of a beautiful psalm that Hezekiah composes, praising God in response. He says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in you, in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. There's several things that we we see here, and again, this is still a place where Hezekiah is holding on to his purpose, and this is so telling. He's holding on here. 
Notice what he says. He, he doesn't say, and now you've given me the ability to live forever. I'm never going to die. I'm going to just be a king on this throne and I'll still be king on this throne to this day, the, to your and my day. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, no, I'm going to praise you for all the days of my life, realizing still there's a set number of days. But he sees in this that God is going to extend his life to allow him to continue to do the things he's called to do. And one of those things is that when he has a son, when that heir is, is there to eventually assume the throne, he's going to speak of the Lord's faithfulness. He's going to teach his children about who God is. And he, he says that that's what a father is called to do. And so he recognizes that his purpose is not only to lead his people in this moment in time, but to pass that on to another generation so that that faithfulness of God has continued to be proclaimed. And so he's holding on to the fact that what, what Israel was called to do and what Judah still exists as a remnant to do in this moment as Hezekiah leads it is to call the other nations to faithfulness to God to see how they hold on to God's promises and because they hold on to God's promises that those other nations start to understand who the Lord is. That's what he was referring to back in chapter 37 at that other beautiful moment of prayer that we looked at. Recall, he said, So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So Hezekiah is doing really good here. You see these two examples, both confronted with, with his health and with military might. He says, Lord, you're not just this keychain. You're faithful. And I want to tell people about your faithfulness. I want to lead your people to faithfulness. I want to pass it down to my descendants about your faithfulness. But then that, that meeting of life, that, that meeting where it's so easy to lose the sense of purpose rolls on. And he quits looking at the agenda items and starts just talking about other things. That's what we see in, in chapter 39. You see, Hezekiah has an envoy come from another land, a land that we haven't really encountered much in scripture up to this point, but a land that will become much more notable, a land that we have a negative sense of because we know what will happen from them. That's the, the empire of Babylon. It's not even an empire yet. It's just a distant land. And this envoy comes, and they come because Hezekiah has been sick, and it, they bring greetings, and they bring letters, and it seems a wonderful thing. And it seems like Hezekiah sort of is processing this and, and thinks, hmm, there's an opportunity here. And he shows them his great wealth and power. Now, why does he do that? Well, I think the reason he does that is really simple. He, he knows Sennacherib is still out there, and Sennacherib is a threat. And he says, well, Babylon's a faraway land. They haven't been an enemy to us. If I show them our wealth and power, they're going to want me as an ally, and we can team up together, and, and Sennacherib may not be able to take us both on at once, or we can protect each other, and it can work out so wonderfully. And so he, he shows everything, his treasury, the, the, the wealth of the temple. He shows it all to this envoy. And then Isaiah shows back up to talk to King Hezekiah. It says, Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. 
So Hezekiah tells Isaiah exactly what he's done, and it doesn't even seem to faze him uh, that he hasn't just been showing off sort of a prideful thing. I think that's how I generally initially would read this. It sounds like, well, he's showing off. Okay, that's not so good. He's not just doing that. He's seeking to move where he puts his trust. It doesn't even faze him. It doesn't strike him as Isaiah is talking to him. Oh, I wonder, maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, but, but he's, as one commentator put it, being confronted with, is he going to trust in the promises of God or the power of man? And he's been trusting in the promises of God. We've seen examples of that, but he, he loses focus in that meeting. He's about to go off the rails here because he says, but that power of man looks awfully good. And, and it's partially in his own power and his own wealth. He's looking, look at how I can win friends and influence people with all this stuff I have. And he's also saying, and look at this wonderful new friend I can make. Someone who has a common enemy, and maybe this is going to work out really well. You know, our friends up in the north, it didn't work out so well for them. Eventually Assyria rolled over them, and I do trust in the Lord, but I also trust in my wits, and I trust in what I can get with this wealth I have and this new friend. And so Hezekiah trusts in all his stuff. What does Isaiah say? You should have done that, Hezekiah. He says, all that stuff that you have, all that stuff that you've shown, every bit of it, he uses the exact same language that Hezekiah describes it in, that he showed everything he had. Isaiah says, everything you had is going to be taken away. You see, Hezekiah is seeking to lead the people, and, and yet somewhere in there he goes off, and says, but there's this other stuff I can hold on to that might help out. Sort of like what happens if I go into a bookstore. I, I, if I go into a bookstore, there's often something in particular I go in to look for. There's some book that I want. Maybe I need a book for a project, so I go in for that book. But if that bookstore, and my favorite bookstores always do, ha have a bargain book department where they have all kinds of books I've never even been aware of, but have been marked down in price, probably because other people weren't aware of them. But I, I go in there and suddenly I see all these wonderful discounted books. And, and the next thing I know, I've spent an hour looking at the bargain books and I haven't just been looking at them. I've been pulling them off the bookshelves and, and now I have a whole stack of these additional books that um, I didn't even know I needed until that moment. I may have forgotten the book I actually went in for, but I... I, I well, I'm happy because I found my bargain books. And, and in this moment, I, uh, Hezekiah is happy because he says, I just found this bargain. This this envoy showed up from, from someplace far away and they're going to take care of us. Isn't this great? But we really get a sense of his heart and how he has missed the point that he's been called to as we turn to the very final part of this story at the end of chapter 39, verse 7. Isaiah says to Hezekiah, And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. Think about what happens there. Not only is all of his stuff going to be carried off, but remember earlier we see this prayer, he's, he's recognizing there's no heir, there's no one who's going to take this line, Lord, that you've established and carry it on and carry on the stories of your faithfulness. And what does Isaiah say? You know what, Hezekiah, what, what you're doing by trusting in this king? Your sons 
They're going to be carried off. They're going to be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. There, there aren't, there isn't going to be a continued line of David from your own descendants. They're not going to be able to continue that line. There's not going to be a throne that's going to all come apart. And what does Hezekiah say? He says, oh, this is good news. We say, good news? Well, he falls into a trap that we fall into. He says, well, Isaiah, this is wonderful. You know, I've worried about these different people that are going to attack my nation and, and perhaps attack me. Maybe they'll kill me. And you've just told me that something bad is going to happen to someone down the line of, of my descendants. But for me, it's not going to happen. And so this is good news. I, I get to live in security and peace and I can keep doing these good things I was doing for the Lord. But notice he's lost the purpose. The purpose that God calls the kings of, of Judah to. The purpose that God calls us to is to pass down the story of his faithfulness that his continued people will proclaim it to the world that we trust in him and that we keep testifying to him. Here Hezekiah has missed both. He's not trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in the power of this king of Babylon. And on top of that, now that line of Hezekiah isn't even going to continue in the way that you would hope. Now, of course, we know ultimately God will preserve a line, but Hezekiah isn't informed about that. He just told that his descendants are going to be made eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. That'll be the full stop. He's lost a sense of purpose here. He's just happy to be comfortable. And, and that's the challenge for us. Am I just happy if I'm comfortable or I'm successful? Do I buy into that cliche, that awful cliche that goes around our culture that it's all about living my best life? Or am I thinking about something more? That's a problem for us in our individual lives as Christians. It's a problem for us as, a, as churches. Sometimes we become so content as a church, as long as we're comfortable in the moment, as long as we, we like what's being said and we like the music that's playing and, and we like our seat that we sit in, that it's all okay. Are we satisfied with that? Are we focused on trusting in God and everything that we're doing? And are we focused on carrying forward his purpose to point the people around us immediately? in our community, in our world, to the Lord, and to pass that down to generations ahead. As we we look at what God does in our lives, are we thinking about how do we as individuals and as churches make sure that those who come after us also know how faithful the Lord is? That's what we're called to do. And in the life of Hezekiah, we can see how a bad attitude can creep in, even to someone who is a good king by and large. Miss out on that purpose. May the Lord, by the power of his spirit, help us to see where we're allowing us ourselves to fall into those endless meetings and the lost agenda and miss out on the purpose he's given us to. Would you join me in prayer and we'll pray that he would guide us even this night. Lord, at times it's a struggle to trust in you, that we look at the challenges and the things that we, we face in life and we, we just want to find some solution in our own cunning in our own wealth in our own power in our own cleverness in our in our own whatever might be before us that we think would be useful or we look to other people and to other things and we think well we can trust in those things may we not do that but may we trust in you lord and as we do, may we not just trust in you, but as we, we look to your promises and we cling to them, would you help us to keep in mind the purpose that you've given us, that we, we don't just rest in comfort as Hezekiah does and think, well, God's faithful to me, so, so I can just 
say everything's fine now, but may we see that you have sent us to be those who carry forward your message, that we're those who declare your faithfulness. May we never be contented with anything less. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about all these things, one of the things that we do is we invite others to be part of studying God's word. And you can do that even tonight. It's so simple. Just give us a like and a share. Let others, your friends, know that this series is going through God's word, thinking about different parts of the Christian life. And maybe God will use that very simple, seemingly meaningless little thing that you do to, to run across somebody else who is struggling right now, wondering what his or her purpose is or if God could be trusted. And you might encourage them even this very night. Well, another way that we, we encourage each other to do that and we hold on to God's promises is we gather together as the body of Christ. And how wonderful it was last night as we were in week three of in-person gathering at Little Hills and we both our community online and in-person gathered for worship. It was a joyful time. I'm so thankful for each week as we do that on Sunday nights. And I hope that you'll join us next Sunday night at 530, whether in-person or online. It'd be so great to have you as part of that continued worship as we seek as a church to be a church that trusts in the Lord and what he's doing and to hold on to that purpose that we testify and declare his glory to others. Hope you'll also join me on Monday. Next week, we'll be looking at Hezekiah's son and how Hezekiah's son also misses his purpose. And it all comes into another challenge that we can slip into. So I hope that you'll join me next Monday night for that. If there's any way I can be praying for you, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. And I can't wait to see you again as we have these exciting things coming up at Little Hills. Have a blessed week.